90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. I'm finally able to have a little bit of time to not uh, study every night, which I'm excited about. Because <laughs> you're officially a pilot now, huh? I am. I passed. That's awesome. And I mean, it would have been hilarious because it probably would have been the first thing you've never passed in your life. But obviously you passed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really disturbed that you're not going to keep studying, though. I mean, don't you need to keep up on this stuff? (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm just waiting just a little bit until I go ahead and start that instrument rating, which I hear is uh, quite the difficult one. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll allow it then. But I want to fly with you soon before you forget everything. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's a little bit windy. And, uh, you know, actually, the week that I did my checkride turned out to be climatologically the windiest. Oh, if only we could ask somebody about that. I know. And actually, I learned that it's climate logically the windiest, by reading an article by none other than this week's guest. We're very excited to be talking to Gary McManus, the Oklahoma state climatologist, about Oklahoma's crazy weather, climate science, and everyone's favorite, the Mesonet ticker. (laughs) Hey, Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. We've been so excited about this show for so long because like we always back and forth, you know, email the ticker and be like, check this one out today. Check this one out, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> there's two fans at least. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super I'll try not to like fangirl out while we're talking. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I get that all the time, sure. <laughs> yes, we, we have got a lot of mileage from the ticker on the podcast <laughs> here. <laughs> We certainly have. And we'll get into what the ticker is um, here in a little bit. But first, you know, tell us how you got into meteorology. We both have meteorology backgrounds. Obviously, we're really excited about this. So how did you get here? Well, it's really the classical story of how people get into meteorology. I grew up out in uh, far northwest Oklahoma in Buffalo, Oklahoma. Of course, you can tell from my accent. It's not the New York variety buffalo. Um, <laughs> we're way up there. We're, we're the bolt that holds on the panhandle, we like to say. But up there in the high plains, you know, as I was growing up as a kid, you could just see forever and ever. I was really excited by the weather we would get. Um, one of my earliest memories was the, 1970, the February 1971 blizzard uh, in northwest Oklahoma, up and down the high plains. Um, it's when Buffalo actually got the state record uh, snowstorm, 36 inches. We had drifts over 20 foot high. Uh, drifts were over our roofs, and uh, we had uh, Chinook helicopters dropping hay and and supplies to people. We were cut off from civilization. Really, that's the same way it is now, but it's not because of snow. But Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that was one of the more uh, formative uh, events in my early childhood that got me started interested in the weather. And just from there, it was, uh, um, you know, I would watch the TV weather guys, uh, Gary England um, on Channel 9, of course. He was uh, everybody's hero growing up. that got into the weather in Oklahoma. Um, and, and, you know, when I had the chance to actually go to school 
to study meteorology. It was a little bit slow starting, but uh, eventually I just said, okay, I have to go do this. Um, and I went and applied and, uh, the rest is, uh, climatological, I mean, history. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary, what exactly does a state climatologist do? Well, you know, the state climatologist for Oklahoma, um, we work at the Oklahoma Climate Survey there on the campus of uh, University of Oklahoma. Um, really, I'm I'm tasked with uh, keeping the records for the state of Oklahoma, representing the state in all matters meteorological. And in that case, one of the big things I do is the U.S. Drought Monitor. I'm the I'm the de facto uh, contributor for the state for the uh, uh, for the U.S. Drought Monitor, which gets a lot of aid to the state whenever there's a drought disaster. Um, I deal with the, the media a lot, uh, keeping a lot of the records and the, the little factoids that the media likes to throw out there. Um, you know, I, I, I'm at, sir, at, the, at the, the beck and call of the public, of course, as a, a really a public servant. So if they need some data, uh, I'm the one that generally gets that together. Uh, so really, uh, it's a jack of all trades. Now, it, that's for Oklahoma. State climatologists across the country really have a whole different um, variety of tasks. Some of them are actually, you know, dyed-in-the-wool professors that just do research. Others are uh, government employees that work at uh, different governmental agencies, state agencies. Um, so, But for Oklahoma, it's really... Um, just providing the, uh, the the data and the the background to the state of Oklahoma and its citizens. So, so there aren't climate surveys then for every state, or are there? No, it it, it just depends. Some of them are just actual state climate offices. Ours is actually a state climate office, um, and I really wish they would change our name to that because I hate saying climatological, as you guys have probably. <laughs> As you tried to do the introduction, that's a really a, a tongue twister. I'd like to say Oklahoma Climate Survey or the State Climate Office, but other places it's just a, you know a state climate office that's established at uh, a professor's office, or it can be at a it can be at a water a water um, a state water board, or, or all matters of uh, all manners of different uh, agencies. Um, we, but you know, in Oklahoma, we have the the geologic survey, the archaeological survey, the water survey, and so we're just ha- we just happen to be the climatological survey. Okay, that makes sense. And some right. states just have really boring weather, so who cares, right? Right. As uh, compared to ours, just about every state has boring weather. But you know, anywhere up and down the plains, we have some exciting weather. But you know, what's the weather in San Diego? You know, so <laughs> same as it was right thirty years ago. <laughs> Well, at least we have wind every day, so it's kind of boring here for that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I'm I'm done with that. I'm going to put my order in after after we're done talking. So. Good luck with that. <laughs> we just spent we actually spent the weekend in Broken Bow, and there was pollen everywhere, oh, yes. and it was the grossest thing. I mean, like an inch <laughs> deep on the ground. You know, I'm like, man. We could really use some of that wind down here. <laughs> oh yeah, you see those videos where the trees just just big old green cloud comes shooting out. Oh. It's very uh, it's horrifying. It's one of the <laughs> it, 
<laughs> I had no idea pine trees could make so much pollen. Like, yeah, I right. I didn't, I didn't understand that. But yeah, so that was very interesting. Um, when I think about weather in Oklahoma, I mean, we all went through, you know, OU meteorology, which is really tough and yes. really intense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I, I have a sort of... I came up right after the movie Twister came out. So sure. like my freshman class was 280 people or something ridiculous. Right, right. Like, and we graduated 39. Yeah, um, that's how it works. Yeah, exactly. But like, there weren't very many of us that were, there were actually only two of us that were from Oklahoma. Was oh. that true back in the day too? No, there were actually quite a few Oklahomans really? in my classes. Okay. Um, now, when we got to grad school, I got, of course, my bachelor's in meteorology, but then I got my master's. Um, in my, in my master's degree, there was a, a lot of, uh, uh, folks from out of state, um, and really from around the world that came in, uh, the grad school there, of course, is extremely yeah. difficult to get into. I got yeah. in, basically I was put in because I'm an Oklahoman, I think. Yeah, uh, exactly. I don't know how else I got in because, uh, <laughs> I certainly couldn't match up to some of the, the people that came in from out of state, but, uh, mm -hmm. uh I, I certainly, uh. Uh, faked my way through to get my degree, though. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I, was, I always thought that was so interesting, you know, that for right. how crazy the weather is. Like, where do, why are we all not meteorologists? Like, well, you know, it seems like the big draw to the, to OU is the chasing. Right. Um, everybody that I knew um, wanted to chase. That real, wasn't really me. I did a bit of chasing, but I pretty much discovered that uh, I was a danger to everybody out there. I was actually trying to do their job when the severe weather hit. So <laughs> my first chase, um, I came off of a, a I-35 on the 240 headed west. And as soon as I got on the 240, my car did a 360 because it just started <gasps> raining. Oh, my God. And I spun out on the oil on the on the, uh, the pavement. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go back to Norman. Um, I'll just watch it on TV with everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when you're like, man, what can I do in weather that's super boring? Right. I'll do climate. <laughs> and my second chase, my car caught on fire. I was like, that's it. I'm done with that. Okay. Oh my gosh. I pulled off on the side of the road like everybody else to start taking pictures. And I pulled off onto some high grass and it oh. got caught in my catalytic converter. And you... somebody was telling me, you know, get out of your car. And I was like, what are they yelling at me for? And they, they said, your car's on fire. I was like, all right. Somebody had a fire extinguisher. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Those are my two, two chases. So there you go. Being from Buffalo, you should know better, right? Exactly. Everybody takes off mm -hmm. their catalytic converter out there. But I, you know, I'm just I'm up there in the city. What can it hurt? <laughs> exactly. So one of the major consumers of information from your office, I would imagine, are the farmers and agriculture folks there in Oklahoma, and there's a lot of them. So what are some of the pieces of information that they're the most eager to get from your office? Oh, yes, very much so. In fact, the, the, I would say that's one of our more important um, aspects of information dissemination uh, from the climate survey, but especially the mesonet. Of course, we, off, we operate the Oklahoma mesonet um, from the climate survey. It's in conjunction with Oklahoma State University because it is so important in agriculture and it really started out as an agricultural uh, environmental measurement network. Um, so, uh, you know, especially the rainfall data um, and the, we have an okay fire program, which does the prescribed burning planning. Um, we have uh, all sorts of uh, different agricultural models that built in 
that help uh, agriculture with the uh, things like uh, the dispersion model that helps them determine when they can spray or when they can't spray. You know, because spray drift is a big problem if you're spraying to kill something and it drifts over into somebody else's field or under their into their orchard or whatever. You can get in some pretty nasty lawsuits. So I've had to testify at some of those. Um, uh, and we have uh, our, our temperature data, of course, is very important. Our wind data is very important. Um, really, all you can imagine, agriculture is interested in just about every aspect of meteorology. Um, so everything we measure on the MESNET is, is pretty important for agriculture. Okay, so I've looked this up. I have a degree in meteorology. I still don't understand what heating and cooling degree days are. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wish I did too. I, it's something I just always look at. I say, oh, there's that HDD and CDD. Um, basically, it's however many hours or days over when you get over a certain temperature or under a certain temperature where you have to turn on the heater or you have to turn on the air conditioner. That's basically what it is. Oh. So if the higher the heating degree days, the colder it was because you had to run your heater a lot. The higher the cooling degree days, um, that means it was hot. So, I mean, but there, you know, we have 30-year normals in that, and we have uh, departures from normal in that. I just don't really – I just tend to go with the strict uh, temperatures themselves. Um <laughs> You know, because I, I get lost in that stuff too. It's 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 confusing, and uh, but, but some people really get into that kind of stuff. I just uh, one of the like, things I gloss over. I mean, personal preference, right? Like exactly. You, some, you know, put on a sweater. Now yes. it's not a now it's not yeah. a heating degree day anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I think maybe before we go any further, maybe we should actually define climate for those people who don't know that there's actually a strict definition of what climate is. And you want me to do that, or are you guys kind of? I mean, you're the professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, climate's just the, the the weather averaged over a longer period of time. Um, uh, so weather happens on the order of uh, you know really seconds to minutes to hours to days, and then climate is uh, on the order of weeks to see to months to seasons to years, and then of course it goes up into decades and centuries and millennia. Um, so as you get those smaller scale smaller time scale events um uh, you average those over time and you get climate uh, some people like to say that um weather is what uh, uh what clothes you put on each day but but climate is what you put in your closet for that season or whatever so um if you have all your uh, sweaters and your sweatshirts in your closet um and then that's climate that's winter but if you put on a on a uh just a t-shirt well i mean that's weather it could be january it could be july you could still wear a t-shirt given the the day-to-day -day weather conditions so there are many different uh many different definitions to, to put it in layman's terms you know with the, the things like that but in actuality it's just uh, weather averaged over time and when we talk about like those averages it's over the last like who picked 30 years because isn't that like sort of the the standard that we use yeah, you know, I've read some of that. I think that was established. It was supposed to be um, established for agriculture back uh, many decades ago. Um, but I think we're finding more and more over time that there are different periods that are more suitable for different uh, uh, industries and, uh, you know, parts of society. Um, so 
certain, I mean, even within agriculture, it might be some uh, growers might want something within the last, what's the last five years? Um, how's it differ from the last five years? Some go with 10 years, um, but 30 years is a little, has stuck a little bit. Um, but I, there are definite um, changes coming in that I think down the road, because we're already starting to see that more and more where um, we're seeing different periods of record be used for the normals. Okay. Cause I, I teach paleoclimate and that's something I talk about is like 30 years and everybody's like, where does that come from? And I'm like, next slide. <laughs> sure, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm glad there's like really not a, not yeah, a well, specific yeah. reason. A lot of the things that are established back for a certain period, it's kind of like a, you know, for regular people, it's like, why do we still have daylight savings time? Mm-hmm. Um, well, because at a certain period in time, it was thought to be necessary. So why do we have 30 years? Well, at a certain period of time that was thought to be necessary. Um, but um you know, uh, over time, I think we'll start to see different normals come out. And the the uh, used to be NCDC, the National Climatic Data Center. Now it's NCEI. They changed their name. The National Centers for Environmental Information. I hope I said that correctly. <laughs> um, I think they're going to come out with when their new normals come out next month. I think they're going to have different periods uh, as well. So maybe 15 years, 10 years and things a little bit different than just the 30 years. So Gary, if the climate is sort of the average of what we could expect for, you know, say this time of year based on some number of years before, a lot of times as meteorologists and even just as citizens, we're interested in the excursion from that, that that's coming up. So you keep track of extremes as well as what the, the average in quotes, conditions are. So what are some of the large extremes that stick out in your mind in Oklahoma weather? Well, um, of course, no, my, my favorite is the 36 inches of snow <laughs> and that'll never be broken because I keep the records. Um, so <laughs> if I have to go out there with the, with the hairdryer, um, and get to the, the, the gauge, I'll, I'll keep that record uh, intact. But, you know, just in the last 10 years, we've had an incredible extremes, uh, in fact, we can go just to the year 2011. Um, 2011, February 10th, uh, the Nowata Mesonet site hit minus 31 degrees, uh, which is the lowest temperature ever recorded in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, beat the previous record of minus 27 by four degrees. So it did not just barely beat it, it smashed it. Um, that April, we had, uh, well, we go seven days past that minus 31 degrees and no water hit 79 degrees for a high. So it was 110 degree swing in seven days. Um, April, we had 50 tornadoes in April. That was the, the record for the most in April we've ever seen. Um, and they were every single tornado was east of I-35. Um, while that was going on in eastern Oklahoma, um, Western Oklahoma was under the gun with uh, 60 mile per hour winds behind dry lines with blowing dust every day and a, and a, uh, a growing uh, drought that ended up being one of the dr- worst droughts on record that 2010 through 2015 drought. Um, we keep going from there. Um, El Reno, uh, the Mesonet site there recorded a, uh, a wind speed of 151 miles per hour in a tornado. Um, we had a, we had a, a, a six-inch hailstone 
that fell near Godibo. That set the record for the largest hailstone ever recorded. And then, of course, we come to the biggie. Um, our summer that year, we broke the record for the warmest summer in Oklahoma history, dating back to 1895, uh, when those records started being kept across. But we not only broke the, the record for Oklahoma, we broke the record for any state um, going back to 1895 when the records began. Um, Oklahoma announced the record for the hottest summer based on the statewide average. Um, we actually share that with Texas um, for that summer. So that June through August period, um, and if, if you guys lived here then, you remember it was absolutely oh, yeah. horrible. Um we broke that record for the hottest summer in the United States. And we also broke the record for the most number of a hundred degree days in Oklahoma with 101 in Granfield. Um, so again, that was just, you know, the first seven or eight months of, of 2011. So the extremes have just kept coming and coming as we've gotten into the two thousands. Um, in fact, since the year two, 2000, uh, Oklahoma has the most declared uh, FEMA declared disasters uh, in of any state in the union, um, you know, right here in Oklahoma. So we beat all those states that have hurricanes. We beat all those states that have other natural disasters. Uh, we're the champs, and it's not even really close, unfortunately, because we've had all those big ice storms. We've had uh, the big uh, severe storm outbreaks. We've had the big tornado outbreaks, um, the big uh, winter storm outbreaks. So um, it, this is the place if you want wild weather. I know there are other places get wild weather as well. Um, but when we say that, there's actually data to back that up. That's unbelievable. <laughs> like, right. I remember 2011 because we always talk about we mowed our lawn four times that yeah. year. Like, yeah. that's what we always Yeah, do. I mean, everybody ran out of water. We had people, uh, we had towns that were getting, that was, that was getting water, uh, towed it in from the U.S. Uh, GS and, and other agencies. So mm -hmm. um, that was, you know, going back to the, to the 1950s, that was the worst drought in the last 60 years. Um, and Oklahomans just, they weren't ready for it because we hadn't seen a drought like that in so long. So, um, and, you know, that's the thing. And when we start seeing those more and more, if we do, um, we have to keep those types of disasters, any type of disaster that we have, in our collective memory. So we won't lose the knowledge that we gain from dealing with those disasters. That's such an interesting point that I have gotten. So I teach uh, undergrad non-majors meteorology and geology classes, and I talk about drought a lot. Um, and the kids now don't, the students don't remember 2011. I first started teaching in like 2014. It was like, oh yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that, you know, and now they don't remember it. And I'm like, oh man, like I have to retool this whole lecture. So, exactly. So yeah, you got to keep that. Cause when you said that we've got the most disaster since 2000, I mean, that doesn't even include 1999. Right. And you know, there's been a lot of stuff that happened right before that too. So we mm -hmm. had a bad drought in 95, 96, we had the 99, May 3rd, 99 tornado and all sorts of things that have happened, but it has accelerated a little bit as we've gotten the last couple of decades. Well, and we've kept referring to the mesonet, which for folks that live around here, that's a, a common phrase. That's why I'm going to go look at the mesonet data. But for those that are not necessarily from this part of the country, could you give us a little bit of background on the Oklahoma mesonet? Sure. It was a joint project that started by uh, my uh, my mentor, uh, Dr. Ken Crawford, 
who was the director at the Oklahoma Climate Survey and some of the uh, professors at Oklahoma State University. Um, and of course, it stands for Mesoscale Network, so it's shortened to Mesonet. Um, it, it, basically, it's a, a series of stations out across the state. We have 120 stations um, measuring uh, all sorts of uh, meteorological data above and below the ground. Um, every five minutes, uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We have one in each county. So everybody, just about everybody in the state of Oklahoma has one within 20 or 30 miles of their house. Um, and it was commissioned in 1994. As I said, it was sort of started as an agricultural network. That's where, um, you know, we wanted to start a, a weather network, but we, you know, you know, what about the, the federal network there? But so we got uh, together with Oklahoma State University and uh, when we got agriculture behind us, then it was uh, packaged as a sort of a different deal. Um, but we've measured billions and billions of uh, uh, measurements. Um, and, you know, it, it, that will soon become the, the, cl the climatological record um, of Oklahoma, at least for the last few decades, we're, we're closing in on 30 years of data. Um, and when that happens, then we don't have to rely strictly on the, the, the federal normals. We'll have our own uh, longer term uh, weather data uh, just for the state of Oklahoma. Um, but, you know, when we when we talk about the Mesonet, it has so many value added products. Um, we have uh, the, the the OK First program that trains all the uh, the, the state uh, emergency managers from county level to uh, to town level to even state level um, we train those emergency managers in the use managers in the use of uh, uh, mesonet data and radar data and how they can understand that data when they're doing their job protecting the citizens of the, the state of Oklahoma um, we train the firefighters with our OK fire program uh, we provide um, uh, data and lessons to uh, K through 12 uh, uh, folks, so they can uh, try and um, you know build interest in in STEM um, in our local schools. So we've been doing that, all of that for um, uh, going on three decades as we get uh, farther along into the into this decade. So um, it's just an amazing an amazing program. It's 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 one of the the true wonders of Oklahoma that not everybody knows about. But when you talk to people around, not only the country. Uh, but around the world that, that deal with weather, uh, it's really one of the undiscovered gems of Oklahoma. It, it really is. And, you know, being just across the line in Arkansas, I'm always so sad that <laughs> we don't have anything like that. But yeah. I do really appreciate, since we're in the very northwest corner, uh, having that dense network just off to my west uh, where I can sort of watch events start moving my way. And right. one thing I've always been curious about, so it's five-minute data. And I think that's with you in the Norman station one minute. Yeah, we can, we actually have the yeah. ability to go down to one minute data. We don't really uh, quality assure that data as well. Um, so, but if some big event is happening, we have the ability to turn on that one minute data and capture that event down to a finer level. Um, we can actually look down all the way down to the three second data. Um, you know, you can you can find a three second period. That's not really how we do things. We we average it out over five minutes. But um, yeah, we can go down to the one minute level definitely. So, and there is some interesting event uh, 
what we need to do is email you to get the, the higher yeah, data. <laughs> well, yeah, me or the, the, the Mesonet operators, we call them. Those, the, you know, our operators are the, some of the backbones of the, the, the network. They're our student uh, volunteer. Well, they're not volunteers, of course, they get paid. But our student workers, um, they sit in that little room up on the third floor of the National Weather Center and watch the data come in. Um, and if something goes wrong, they automatically, you know, flag it as bad or they can uh, answer questions that come in immediately. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to get hold of me if I'm not at my computer. Um, but, you know, we have those students that, and that, you know, that's another benefit of the Mesonet is we train those students in the use of uh, actual weather data. And, you know, it's a lot more than just chasing when you get into looking for a job, as you guys well know. Um, we actually have to have some uh, some skills and that looking at weather data can actually help you get a job in meteorology. <laughs> I had no idea that yeah. there were students that were watching it yeah. in real time. <laughs> you can go by and, and look at them through the glass. We don't really oh, like people to tap on the glass because it hurts oh. their ears. But, yeah, you know. scares them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but that is also really cool because like it's very it's very competitive getting jobs. I worked at the Severe Storms Lab, um, but it's kind of scary. So you know, but any amount of getting your hands on any data, I think, really helps. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's invaluable. And, you know, a lot of those students, um, well, not, you know, a portion of our students have gone on to become long-term employees with the, the climate survey and the mesonet. So, and if they don't become long-term employees with us, um, they work for us for a short time and then move on to bigger and better things. Or or they go on to uh, grad schools at different, um, different uh, universities. And uh, working with the mesonet is a big is a big draw to those other universities because we uh, we have a lot of cloud. I'm proud to say with the uh, with the weather community around the United States. So mm-hmm. there's no other state that has the coverage we have, but there are like little mini mesonets in other places, right? Doesn't Texas have a small one or? Yeah, Texas has the West Texas Mesonet. Now, of course, it's probably as big as ours because West Texas is <laughs> as big as Oklahoma. But um, and New York has one that's patterned almost exactly off of ours. Um, but nobody has done it to the degree um, and for as long as we've done it. And, of course, we were the first, and, and Harvard University named us the gold standard when it comes to meteorological measurement networks. Um, so we have all the awards, um, luckily, because we were first. But a lot of the, the mesonets that have been tried to uh, or that have tried to copy us, um, they use our blueprint and they come to us for help in starting their networks. Uh, you know, one of the things they can't really match though is that uh, partnership between Oklahoma State and OU. So you get the interest in the meteorology, but you also get the interest in the agriculture. And that's a big draw up at the, uh, the state capitol um, with the legislature and the, and the governor's office. Um, because we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of, of, of big rave reviews from from emergency managers, from uh, agriculture, uh, from uh, Oklahoma's teachers, uh, and that plays really well up at state capitals. And that's one thing that we're we're sort of the innovator that started that. I get so sad to think about ever moving out of Oklahoma and not having access yeah. to all of that. Like yeah. I imagine every, every emergency manager and everyone else feels the exact same way. Right. You know, when you travel around and you look for, you know, do they have a mesonet? Like, oh, well, they have a they have a, a NOAA station uh, 75 miles to the west. We'll see what's happening out that way, I guess. <laughs> 
our uh, our field camp for geology students in, is in Canyon City, Colorado, and the closest one is Pueblo, which we're in the mountains, Pueblo, <laughs> yeah. you know, sixty miles away, and it's like this is ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Gary, there's a lot of folks that have you know their their Davis Vantage Pro stations or something like that that they put up on their house or out on their property, and it's now pretty easy to get that data submitted into various networks, uh, even, even the, the co-op program sure. is able to take that data. What, it, what problems is, are there issues trying to take these stations that are installed by non-experts and they're not necessarily pro equipment and compare it to things like the Mesonet? Well, there are certain differences and there are, there is a problem when you start to try and, uh, to merge the two. One of the things is that we consider the Mesonet data to be a research quality, uh, uh data set. Um, that means we have somebody quality assuring every single observation that goes through. We have two um, quality assurance meteorologists, and then we have the students that, that quality assure it in real time. Um, so we keep a strict um, hand on that data and make sure it's research quality. And also our instruments are constantly rotated. We have um, technicians that go out into the field and rotate our instruments in and out on a regular basis and they come into our uh, measurements lab, our calibration lab, and those uh, instruments are regularly calibrated by an expert um, calibration meteorologist. David Grimsley is our calibration meteorologist. Um, he's an absolute genius when it comes to, to the instruments. Um, so when it, when it comes to those um, smaller uh, uh, observation systems like the Davis systems, you know, they're put out wherever somebody wants to put them out. We have uh, very strict guidelines when we site our stations. They have to be away from any sort of uh, obstruction to the wind. They can't be around any of the, the, the things like asphalt or, you know, you'll see somebody put up a station next to uh, next to their air conditioner vent or something like that. So um, it's just a, a different um, quality of the – I'm not saying every bit of that other – the data is, it's bad quality. I'm just saying, you know, when it comes to the 24, seven, 365 days a year, um, our data is, uh, really compared to nothing else. Um, and that's the way we, we sell our data. Um, it's being, uh, that research quality. I remember having to take a test about how to cite a mesonet station. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if you had to do that, John. <laughs> <laughs> I did not, but I remember using lots of Mesonet data for different you know, exercises uh, while I was going through school there. And yes, I that is the one data set I always tell people when they're looking. I said, "Well, this is real world data, so it's going to be messy." And I've never once had to say that about a single Mesonet data. Right? We try to keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's all those students locking that closet, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, we we keep them uh, busy looking at that data, and we. Uh, <laughs> Throw a throw a piece of pizza in there once in a while and <laughs> tell them to fight over it. And whoever whoever does the best job can, you know, there get you the, get another piece. So exactly. yeah, we we actually we 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 certainly take care of our students pretty well. And uh, um, when we advertise for jobs, there's a quite a demand for those jobs. And uh, uh, again, not not only the the students, but our technicians that go out 
to you know if you have to drive from from norman all the way to boy city to 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 mow the grass or to get the instruments and take them back and replace the instruments and uh, you know swap those in and out the uh, those are the jobs those are the people that are really the backbone of the mesonet that they're, they're not really uh much heard about but um of course they're so important to the to the operation of the mesonet what's the weirdest thing you've had happen at a station uh well let me think we've had of course we've had a multitude of animals come in the station um we've had uh, a cow get in and chew things up we've had donkeys get in and chew things up uh we've we've had numerous wildfires go across our stations and of course with El Reno, we had an EF5 brush our station um, when we got the 151 mile per hour wind gust. Um, we've had, you know, many lightning strikes. Um, I know, of course, the technicians have all sorts of stories that deal with the uh, the local uh, the local populace that we won't get into here. But uh, um, and of course, you know. If you put something up out in the country, somebody's going to take a shot at it. So that's one of the things. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you've ever watched, uh, if you ever watched The Simpsons, you know that's one of the favorite pastimes, and uh, we've had many, many things be replaced that have been shot at too. So <laughs> excellent. Never a dull moment for those technicians that are going out into the field. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> and so another thing that you do. Uh, is you write this thing called the ticker. So what is that and how did it come about? The ticker, it's a runaway train. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a slave to its own success or something like that. Um, it was actually started by my predecessor, um, Deke Arndt, who's now one of the, the, the chief of the climate monitoring branch out there at the the NCEI or what used to be NCDC. He started that back in 1996, I think it was. It was really a way to to get um, the Mesnet data a little bit better publicity back before it was well known. So you start this uh, Mesnet ticker, you send it out to a, a email distribution list each day, um, and hopefully it would get shared around and people would start to to see the value of the Mesnet data. Um, so Deke did that for a while. Uh, when Deke left, it was passed down to me. Now, of course, I always thought Deke was a magnificent writer. Um, so when it was passed down to me, I was like, well, I can't really do this. How am I going to do this? So <laughs> I basically said, well, I'm just going to be myself. <laughs> Deke was more of a, a poet when it came to, to writing. I'm, I'm more of a, um, I guess, a, I don't know what you'd say, a cartoonist <laughs> in word form. But um it just sort of grew over the years and you know, the, the ticker, I, I write it anywhere from three to six days a week. I could write some on, on weekend if something big happens, but I send it out each morning, uh, whatever big topic I can find for the day. Um, or, you know, that period of time, uh, it goes out to about a thousand people via email. It goes out to just about everybody you could imagine. It goes to the governor's office it goes to Senator Inhofe's office. I've had Senator Inhofe oh. call me and ask me questions. It goes out to local farmers. It goes to uh, scientists, uh, even across the country. It goes out to, to some fellow state climatologists. Um, and then, of course, it goes onto our website and onto our app that you can get it there. And it goes onto our social media platforms, uh, Twitter, 
uh, and Facebook. Um, and like I said, it's really a runaway train. And once I started writing it, I really didn't realize that uh, it would become so in demand. And so it's really one of the things that keeps me from ever getting a vacation. <laughs> um, people, if I, if I ever take a day off or even, a, you know, three or four days, people are emailing me saying, what's wrong? Is everything okay? I'm like, well, I was trying to enjoy time with my kids, but <laughs> thanks, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> right. So it's really a, but really it's, 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 it's really a pleasure to write because I can, I have a lot of leeway to write whatever I want. And sometimes I know I take a little bit of uh, too much latitude, but it's really a fun thing to write. And uh, I think it's become pretty popular because I've written it in more of a, uh, just a lay, a lay person's term, you know, where try and explain it in the simplest of terms that people can really understand. Well, you put on your, your fancy climatologist hat at the end of every month, right? And then you put the, you know, you got your yeah, that's, science in there too. <laughs> and no matter what happens, it always seems to rain on the last day of the month. So <laughs> I write and write and I write and right at the last day, I have to rewrite almost everything because all the statistics change. But <laughs> you, what, one of the things I found when it was, when it came to, to writing it, um, was I, like I said, I didn't think I could match Deke for the pro, so I just tried to use humor. And, you know, I really am uh, I'm probably a certified lunatic, but sometimes that comes across in my writing. I just sort of stream of consciousness sometimes. And I thought that's really the only way I'm going to make this my own is use my humor. Um, and a lot of people appreciate that. Some people don't necessarily appreciate it. You know, everything's really serious, but... It's not for them, and um, but a lot of people uh, appreciate the humor and just the simplistic terms that I, I write things in and, and try and keep it um, more of what people are interested in, so keep away from the really hairy stuff. I was going to ask how much feedback you got, because you definitely use a lot of references that my students wouldn't get anymore. (laughs) I try and tell people if I use a a movie reference, I I use a lot of pop culture references because I'm I'm definitely somebody that's into pop culture. I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of TV, listen to a lot of music. Um, So I try and throw that in there. Um, And I, I have two teenage I have teenage twins twin girls and I have a teenage boy so I I try and throw a little bit of the the newfangled kid stuff in there but a lot of my stuff is is a little bit dated and I tell the youngsters to google if they don't so they'll get it but uh um you know even some of the stuff I can't believe I have to explain you know if I throw up a like I one of my favorites is throwing up a, a roadhouse meme with you know the Patrick Swayze movie and people are like <laughs> Roadhouse, what's that? I'm like, eh, it's a movie back oh, from. Uh, well, I guess that was a long time ago. <laughs> How did people forget? No, we won't that? talk about the uh, the time Shannon made a Ghostbusters reference and then had to explain it. Oh man, that's sad. <laughs> I know, I know. It was before the reboot, so you know. They just... Well, there's also a sequel coming out this year, so people oh, will start watching again. So. Excellent, excellent. I remember that that happened to me when I was in my master's and I was doing a. Intro Geology Lab, and I made a New Kids on the Block reference. No one laughed, and I was like, "Oh no!" (laughs) Yeah, it certainly makes you age when you start throwing out pop culture references. Now, when I try and throw out stuff that my kids 
when my kids tell me, I'm like, that just sounds foreign to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just made a quiz right before this that has some Minecraft jokes in it. And oh, <laughs> see, you know, even that stuff's getting a little bit dated. So exactly, <laughs> like, now it's, it's, it's onto the different stuff. So uh, I guess you just embrace it, right? That's what you need to. Yeah, I remember when, not too long ago, when people were going out looking for Pokemon's out on their, oh, with yeah. their phones. So uh, if I threw that into a ticker, uh, you know, there'd be four or five. Uh, people say, what are you talking about? So, oh. <laughs> that's how quickly it changes, it seems. Yeah, so w- when is the ticker going to start uh, in TikTok form? Uh, yeah, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, I actually had, uh, you know, Rick Smith, at the, who's the, uh, um, the, you know, the big wing, the, the, the warning coordination meteorologist there at the at the, at the the Norman office, the weather service office. He said, well, you know, why don't we... Uh, why don't we try and get you on doing, you know, like we do those YouTube updates. Why don't we get you doing that? I'm like, if I got on YouTube and started talking, I would be like, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, I, I've done a lot of TV interviews and that's not my thing. <laughs> well, I, as a fellow content producers, we definitely understand <laughs> yes. the, the pressure to always be, getting something new out and yeah. uh, it's it's certainly a labor of love it sounds the, like there's a lot of pressure and here's the thing and if i'm just in a normal tone of voice on my ticker and i just write something you know like straightforward i will have people email me and say is there something wrong are you doing oh. okay i'm not kidding they will call and they'll email me and say oh wondering if there was something wrong with you oh my god i'm like well I'm just writing in a normal tone of voice, you know, so it, it's, it can't be all fun and games all the time. Come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I also just you and a thousand of your closest friends. Exactly. exactly. Uh-huh. Oh man. I have so many of them saved. I'm like, use this one in class. Like <laughs> I, I have a, one of my best friends, like every day she'll be like, man, he's on fire today. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I, that's the thing. There's a, like I said, there's a lot of pressure to actually make something interesting because. But the good thing is, since we are in Oklahoma, there's always something interesting. But I've discovered that when we started putting it on, when we started putting it on um, on Facebook and Twitter, it really does become sort of a pressure to try and get as many views as you can. And it, it's, it just sort of creeps up on you. You don't think about it when you first started start doing it, but then whenever you start throwing it up there, it's like. Well, that guy only got 4,000 views, and the one yesterday got 17,000. Well, this one must be terrible. And it could have the best information, in, but it's just because people don't click on it on Facebook doesn't mean it's not valuable. Um, so when they talk about that addictiveness to um, to uh, social media, that's where I can see where that comes in. And I try not to look too much after I post something on our social media um, but it does get nerve wracking um, when you start writing um, something three or four times a week and trying to trying to entertain the masses. <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a suite of writers behind me like you know the late night guys or anything. So. <laughs> I think you just need to throw in more cat videos for like you know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> There's only so many uh, losing my hair jokes I can use. <laughs> It's an impressive amount, though, I will say. (laughs) It's the gift that keeps giving. (laughs) Well, Gary, is there anything that you would like to add or like folks to know? 
Um, no, just if you if you really have questions about the mesonet, um, you can find our info just about everywhere. Just Google Oklahoma mesonet, and of course for me, I'm I'm uh, reachable by about any method. Um, you can come up to the weather center. Well, whenever we open back up, I'm been working from home with the. Uh, um, with, the, with the pandemic, but you can email me. You can call me on my cell phone. I'm readily available. I made a pledge early on when I became the state climatologist that I was going to be accessible to the to the public and the state decision makers at all times. Um, so any sort of questions, any sort of data you need, um, feel free to contact us. We're there um, to serve the public uh, and to help out any way we can, really. That's great. This was everything I hoped it would be. Just so you know. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you liked it, and uh, maybe I'll mention it in the ticker tomorrow. Yeah. Along with the ball joke. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's great. Throw in another cat, and you'll have made my year. <laughs> yeah, okay. I got lots of those. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, Gary, thanks so much for taking the time out of your evening to join us. We really appreciate it. You bet. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, Shannon, talking to Gary was an absolute blast. Uh, it was everything I had hoped for. I've been a Mesonet Tigger fan for so many years, and I was so <laughs> excited. And I knew I couldn't control myself if he came on here. I was going to ask him a thousand things. So we're definitely going to have to get Gary back on. Absolutely. <laughs> and that means, though, that it's time to move on to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay! And this week, we are looking at space weather, a space hurricane over the Earth's polar ionosphere by Zhang et al. There are a lot of people on this. <laughs> there are. <laughs> so this made the rounds and comes from Nature Communications and shows us something about the, um, the value of looking through old data. Absolutely. So... This is data from August of 2014, which I did find it disturbing that something in 2014 is now considered an archival surge. Oh, that was real painful. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but these are government satellites. And it turns out they find on a relatively calm space weather day, suddenly something that is somewhat accurately described as a space hurricane in the Earth's upper atmosphere. So I love <laughs> I love that the there is an artist recreation of this, which is what's making the rounds. This is not from the nature paper, but it's what's making the rounds on all the um, press about it is this <laughs> ridiculously terrifying <laughs> like orange or uh, green and orange blob that looks like a hurricane floating in our upper atmosphere, which is what caught my eye. I thought, what is that? And so that's where I found this was because right. of this artist recreation picture. But really we're talking about raining electrons and convecting electric charge. It's the same physics. right? It is. <laughs> but yeah. So instead of rain, it's electrons and they're raining down, and it's because of, yeah, the convective nature of the magnetic field in our upper atmosphere. And so we haven't seen, we see auroras all the time, 
on our planet and lots of other planets, but to see this like convection in our atmosphere is very different. And we've seen convection in the sun a bunch. There's like, you know, huge solar natos and all this. Um, but this isn't a new thing. It's not something that just happened. Like you said, this data are, um, are from 2014. And so something that happened way back then was this big hurricane. And it's probably happening a lot more than we realize. And now that we know what to look for, maybe we can look at it. Right. And what's really cool is you even see structures that look like rain bands in a hurricane, yeah. but instead they're these charge or magnetic field lines. And you get this uh, this field current that's going upward, just like the warm rising air in a hurricane. It's like it's really the same physics and you get the same structures. And it's all because at this time, the portion of the sun's magnetic field we were interacting with was a north polarity. And in the northern hemisphere, you get those two likes repelling, which makes the field lines do some really funky things and lets this convection start. Yeah. So you set up a convection current based on magnetic charge. This is like all my favorite things, right? <laughs> and it's it's funny to look at that artist rendition, but they did say that they saw, you know, they saw those spiraling arms too, right? Because I mean, the atmosphere is also rotating with us as well. And so the exact same structure. I will say that I love the schematic diagrams of this. Like they look like they were drawn for that USA Today weather book, you know? <laughs> Figure yeah, five. somebody spent a lot of time in Illustrator. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so they're real good and they're real easy to see um, what's going on. But one of them looks like a jello mold being pierced by... <laughs> I don't know, some purple tooth or something. I love it. <laughs> I just like the phrase electron precipitation. <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, space and weather blows my mind. It's true. And looking at some of the plots of field aligned current, if they plotted them with a slightly different color scheme, it would look like Nexred. Uh, so looking at figure four. Uh huh. Yes, exactly it's yeah that does look just like just like a radar image exactly right even the cross section looks like a cross section we would have looked at in a or whatever exactly mm-hmm. yeah same stuff different medium air axis of fluid and apparently electrons act as uh, hydrometeors no i do just like you said i find it entertaining looking at some of the plots in the paper that as scientists, okay, yeah, we're used to looking at this. This is a time series plot. Okay, this is a cross section. This is a quiver plot. So we quiver plot. So we've got some streamlines in here. And then that artist rendering. <laughs> you really have to pull up both at the same time because the artist rendering is just real great. <laughs> it's like uh, draw a star now bend its arms now make it look like part of it's leaving its body <laughs> okay great <laughs> I'm definitely going to use this in class um, I actually have a whole assignment that is find me the best uh, <laughs> find me the best great dying that was the Permian extinction find me the best great dying art that you can and it's extra credit so this one would definitely work for a space weather <laughs> assignment <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are great. So hopefully, I mean, if you check spaceweather.com a lot, like 
maybe I do. <clears throat> this has been all over that and all over the astronomy websites and stuff. So we'll probably hear a lot more about them in the future now that we know they exist. And space weather really does affect a lot of daily life that we don't realize. Mm-hmm. It definitely does me because I can't run my magnetometer when there's lots of space weather. But most people probably don't have that problem. <laughs> right. Uh, well, if you've got your own observations of a space hurricane, or you would like to send in your electron precipitation amounts so we can put them in the 30-year climatological space weather mean. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? You can email us, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter. We're at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And you can support this great podcast and keep us bringing interesting guests like Gary on. And that can be done at Patreon. So you can find us patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And even though Zhang et al. are desperately trying to figure out a way to create giant electron hailstone hydrometeors <laughs> to hurl at us whenever they hear us say it, until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. <laughs>